we the Lord's people, heart and voice uniting, praise him who called us out of sin and darkness into his own light. Amen. So here we are, caught in ecclesiastical limbo in what would otherwise be a reasonably jolly transition between the Thanksgiving table and the Christmas feast. While the office manager of our vet on Friday bobbed up and down in his chair at the crooning invitation for me to have a merry, merry Christmas, I, the preacher, was left to contemplate the sun darkened and stars falling from heaven. Welcome to Advent. From the church's point of view, the start of the liturgical year, yet in the context of the world you and I live in, it is a rather odd interlude on the way to the manger. On one hand, you are likely now receiving invitations to holiday parties to bring something and be bubbly. On the other hand, your church is telling you that the moon will not give its light and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. What are we to make of it all? What is Advent trying to say to us? Essentially, the invitation the church extends at this time of year is to prepare ourselves to come to the manger at Christmas time by confronting the kind of Savior we might expect to see when we get there. Advent makes no mention of the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, no shepherd, nor guiding stars. Instead, as we approach the beginning of Jesus' story at his birth, we are first asked to consider its end, the story of Christ's coming again, in clouds descending as the great Advent hymn sings with fear and trembling and terrible power. For us, the themes of Advent are something of a shock. Yet for the first hearers of Mark's gospel, they were front and center for how they saw the world. For them, the idea that God would soon act to consummate history, not by ending it, but by bringing into being a whole new order of things, was at the heart of how they saw their place in time. The expectation that the Messiah would come was both a theological hope and a political conviction. The people of Israel had lived and suffered under Roman occupation, as indeed they had to differing degrees under the power of the Persians, the Babylonians, and the Assyrians before them. Moreover, the immediate context of Mark's gospel was not merely Roman hegemonic power in general, but the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple in particular, in a brutal and unforgiving suppression of the Jewish revolt of 70 CE. Mark's theological hope in the midst of all of that real and present suffering was that God would indeed act decisively, not at some future time, but imminently enough that he says in his gospel this morning that this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. For those early followers, the birth 
life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that Mark's story narrates was not merely a part of history, but the inauguration of a whole new history. Keep alert. God is about to do a new thing. Be on the watch, for the current state of life is ending. Keep awake, for God is changing everything. That is the ancient message sent to us today. And on the way to the manger, we are to ask what God's breaking into history in the birth of Jesus really means. Therein lies the challenge. 2,000 years ago, at the height of the crisis, Mark's community was sure that God was just about to do a new thing and put a world of injustice and suffering to rights. For them, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, was to reign. And not even the power of hell would be able to prevail, let alone the powers of this world. Yet as we look at that claim from our own vantage point in history 2,000 years later, the expectant hope that God will make all things new seems thin, if not fanciful. Blood is being shed today on the land Jesus walked upon, just as it was shed two millennia ago. As we look out at a world so often at enmity with itself, we struggle to reconcile that fact with the claim that the God we will meet in the manger is indeed the Christ, whose coming is making all things new. It is here that we realize that Advent is a season that asks for our honesty, a time set aside at the start of the story of the church's year that asks us what we really believe about this God we will encounter in Bethlehem. It's a time that confronts you and I with the perennial question of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Perhaps you have settled that question long ago and concluded that in the face of the evidence of this world, all of this religion is merely good theater, a story to gather around, the myth of God we keep respectable by dressing well on a Sunday morning and making sure churches like this one do more good than not in the world. Or perhaps you are agnostic about whether this story of Jesus is fact or fantasy. And instead, you focus your walk with Christ as with a teacher, a guide, a good moral exemplar in your attempt to live life loving your neighbor and becoming the person you believe the world needs for you to be. For me, the Christian hope lies not in how good I can be or in how effective the church is at religiously ordered social impact. The hope I see in the God we meet on the way to the manger is the one that asks me to keep awake by keeping my eyes wide open to the presence of that God that is manifest not with power that shakes the foundations of the earth, but with power that is silent enough to most often go unnoticed. For me, God comes into the world not as an end to cruelty and suffering, but as the defiant presence of life, in spite of death's seeming dominion over the world. 
The power of God is what is born into the world when love is poured out, when people learn how to empty themselves of pride and privilege and discover the joy that comes when we learn to live for others. For me, the God we meet on the way to the manger is the God who's longing for us to live again after a bereavement or a layoff or a relationship's breakdown is somehow enough to give us the strength to find our way through the darkness. God is not a story nor a good idea. God is the real presence and power we all too often miss. Such a God lives in the hearts of the harshest despot and the most devoted carer alike, a presence so easily drowned out by the noise of the world, yet one that persistently whispers for us to keep awake to the presence and power of grace and love born again into the world every time a human life says yes to God's yes to us all. I see that God who calls us to keep awake in the mother who watches her children try their first pair of new school shoes at Threads. Not merely receiving gifts of clothing, but the much greater gifts of unbridled love and care from those who give of themselves to volunteer there. I see that God in the hearts that are opened up by the encounter of tutor and tutee, as families who first came to this country as refugees discover the loving kindness of people in this place. I see that God in the church member who drives across this city carrying flowers from this altar and the love of this community to, take, to say to someone at home unwell or nursing a grieving heart, we remember you. I see it in the tremendously beautiful image of a president fighting age and infirmity to behold the love of his life one final time at Rosalind Carter's funeral, taking one last look at the human being who had gifted him glimpses of God's glory throughout their married life together. There are millions of manifestations of such a God every day. The light between the cracks, where hope dwells on, even when all of the signs of life are gone. On the way to the manger, Advent asks us what it is we will believe about the one who will meet us there. You will have to come to your own answer to that question over and over again. As the life of this world and the life of your own journey takes you closer and then further away from the site of new birth. As you travel, Take to heart the calling of the gospel, for you do not travel this way alone. Keep awake. Behold, God is doing a new thing.